everyone. I'm Dr. Rachel Lupian. And I'm Dr. Stephanie Sparrow. Our climate is in crisis, and we all want to help, but we might not know how. We're talking to people who have figured out how to use their talents to combat climate change in the hopes that their journey might inspire your own. This is How We Got Here, because the Earth needs professional help. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Steph. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, do you still have tonsillitis? No, modern medicine <laughs> works itself out. <laughs> Thanks, science. Thank you, science. Rich, how was your week? Good stuff? Bad stuff? Yeah, I had a great week. I feel really busy at work right now, but mostly like on top of, on top of things. That's great. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, I don't know. I have some students in lab. We're moving things along. I'm running like three different instruments at the moment. This always, always happens where I'm like not in lab, not working in lab for, I don't know, over a month maybe. And then all of a sudden I'm running three different things. And it, it just rains, happens with schedule. Yeah, I, I don't pours. know why. but Yeah. So, it, I mean, that's good and bad. It's like I'm not getting much else done, but... I'm going to have some new data soon, and new Can data I? is the best. I have a question for you. When you're running yes. three different machines, this is what I'm picturing, but it might be I'm inappropriate. Juggling. Are you like, <laughs> no. no, 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 but I do imagine you running <laughs> from like room to room to room being like, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? Yeah, oh. kind of. <laughs> Never mind. Well, yeah, it's, in, it's basically in three different rooms. Oh, and I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm, you know, they can sit. I, yeah. I basically need to like prepare samples for each one and then set them free and then check in one of the instruments takes a lot of babysitting so i will set up a run in the morning and then set up a run when i leave work overnight um but i'm like i need to like spend like a couple hours each day with it which is a lot but um so so that's fine it's just when i'm also doing other instruments too it's it's just a lot but new data is like maybe the best part of my job it is so exciting to plot up data for the first time it's just the best get a squiggly line get a yes. squiggly line plot that depth v uh delta do right oh i don't know that's not a thing you know what <laughs> i'm thinking dance skirt oshker what sorry i w- <laughs> i mean <laughs> say that too many dios Depth. Dansgard Oshker. It's a it's a it's an extreme climate event in Ooh. the Holocene that that okay. occurred. Look at the science that Rachel yeah. is dropping on this. No, okay. Paleo so I was climate. Sorry, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a song. That's a theme. When I was in grad school, we used to go on the boat with Dave Murray. Hi, Dave. Yeah. Hey, Dave. Uh, oh, me and Dave have the same birthday. Very important. Okay, go on. I actually knew that. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> But we would drop the water monitor thing yes. into Narragansett Bay to monitor uh-huh. water quality. And that yeah. was a DO. There was a DO. Oh, there. it is? Yeah, I think you would no. measure the amount of oxygen with depth, for oh, sure. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. The instrument's not called a DO. Oh, my God. I have no idea what right, that right. thing okay, in the okay, cages okay. Yeah, you. I was going to say right. a dish, but that's not a thing. I mean, it is that a is thing, a but thing. we didn't drop it. That's for the... water quality. That's for water clarity. Anyway. So, cool. The, okay. <laughs> the one highlight of my week, yeah. which happened today, 
When I say my week, I really mean like the last two days because we record on Tuesdays and then <laughs> I totally forget what happened the week before. But today I found out that um, I got a little tiny uh, proposal funded. I <gasps> teamed up with a with a grad student at Lamont. Uh, and we put in a proposal to do a little postdoc grad student mentoring. Uh, that congratulations! Event. Yeah, so that was cool. I'm excited to get to work on that. Um, yeah, yeah, you, that's great. How about you? What's what's going on right. besides post tonsillitis life? Oh my god, so good. Post tonsillitis life <laughs> is a dream. Um, I told myself let's not complain this week. But, uh, I, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. I actually <laughs> had a good week, a good two days. That's great. Rachel, you're, okay, I don't know if anyone, if I've told, I did tell you this, but I don't know if I told the podcast this. I'm teaching weather, climate, and society. Everybody knows this. One of the goals yes. was to launch a weather balloon. And? And there was a run on helium. And I, oh. I called Party City, and they were like, <laughs> no. And I called Air Gas, and they were like, there's no helium left. I oh will link gosh. to a terrifying article about how we are actually depleting the earth of helium. But Whoa. they're like, we're only serving current clients. But Rachel, you told me most I was like, chem Your department- university is filled <laughs> yeah. with current clients. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I think chem and bio use helium. I mean, we use helium in my lab all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you do. So I found <laughs> the, um, the like chemistry ordering person. His name is Phil. He Shout out Phil. Phil. Delightful. Delight Phil. Delight. Oh, man, you're so good. Did you cool. say that to him? I he obviously liked you that. know I don't like I'm bad at wordplay. <laughs> <laughs> but Delight Phil. So he <laughs> my my students, if you're listening, they were supposed to tell me in advance we're gonna launch today. Because Did they do that? No. <laughs> because we're we have to we were waiting for the jet stream to be pushing a very specific way so the oh. weather balloon has to land over southeastern virginia and not dc obviously because that's insane oh yeah it'll get it'll kill somebody yeah. right. <laughs> or, or the atlantic ocean there's a parachute oh, right. but i feel like it would get shot down i mean I, oh, we do have to yeah. file a notice to airmen we do all the things correctly but my students walk in today and said <laughs> we're ready to go phil's on his way and i was like I guess I'm not teaching today. today, That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) No, Phil showed up, was cool with the chaos. We launched it this morning. Calculations were incorrect. It's at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, what? Yeah. So that's a that's a good and bad right there. That's a good (laughs) it was a really great experience. Uh, and, but now, and did you learn? Did they learn something? I mean, we are gonna go over the jet stream again <laughs> you're like not that jet stream well i think the way that there there are a few ways to calculate it and the very simple way <laughs> that uh the, our manual told us to do so was a little too simplistic um but anyway maybe we're, i'm really hoping some boat picks it up there was a parachute should have been a soft oh, cool. landing and uh, or it lands on the eastern shores our phone numbers on there Oh, oh! It's like one of those like Mars boxes. That yeah, you, like, I mean, there's a GoPro the... on there. <laughs> like, oh wow! Buy GoPro. It's like goodbye. Oh. One thousand dollars is really oh, what just shoot. happened. But I think it was a good experience. Anyway, Jeez. I was really proud of the helium find. <laughs> oh, but you got helium. Okay. And I, it was a really good experience. And it was very cool. It would have been cooler if we could get the <laughs> data back. Did you get you got like a tiny bit of data? No, we right? got we got the trajectory. Oh. That's oh, it. No. Went Nothing straight else. for the water. Okay. But do you know what's so actually here's a connection. Our guest might be live one of the places where that thing washes up. Oh. 
So Who, let me who's tell our you. guest? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mary Carson Stiff is the director of policy at Wetlands Watch, which is a nonprofit dedicated to conserving Virginia's wetlands. She provides legal and policy research on issues related to sea level rise adaptation in coastal communities, and she's an advocate for the continued use of green infrastructure to protect coastlines. She engages with anyone and everyone from citizens, local governments, state and federal agencies, to the private sector to raise awareness and address issues of sea level rise and increased flooding, which, spoiler alert, we just see a lot of here on the East Coast with climate change. Oh, yeah. Thanks Mary Carson Stiff, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> Mary Carson Stiff <laughs> is also a graduate of the College of William and Mary School of Law, and we're really excited to have her on the podcast. Welcome, Mary Carson. Well, Mary Carson, thanks for being here. Our first question is, what do you do? What's your job title? Do you have a business card? And if so, what's on it? Can Colors, it? fonts? <laughs> yeah, actually, our business card is really beautiful, in fact. Oh. And it, it is often, um, you know, the topic of conversation. And oh. we've, been, we've been complimented for it. Um, it is, I'm the policy director at Wetlands Watch. And I'm going to pull... Uh, <laughs> A business card, so y'all can She's see searching for this business card. <laughs> how pretty it is. Wow, oh, it is very pretty. Wait, oh, that's beautiful. Is that so a this, is that a crane? I, it's a great blue it's heron. A heron. I knew that. That was so a bad. heron. <laughs> I waited for her to say it before I said heron. So yeah. in little little um, in the wet, little wetlands plant, what it is. Uh huh. And then, yeah. I like, that's awesome. It's vertical, listen. I know, right? Stands out, different. Sage green. It's very cool. Yes. We just updated our card stock. It's like very thick. (laughs) The things we got excited about. (laughs) Policy director at Wetlands Watch, which is a nonprofit in Virginia. We're based in Norfolk, Virginia, and we work statewide on the preservation and conservation of wetlands. We do that primarily through sea level rise adaptation. So we work really, we are statewide, but we extend into like the Bay watershed and then down into North Carolina a little bit. And then we work um, at the national level uh, with policy issues. Awesome. So what is your role really? So I'm the policy director, which means that I work on kind of thinking of creative ways to implement programs that we're interested in and, um, you know, basically enact changes in different laws and regulations that govern shoreline decisions. That's kind of like in a nutshell. So like, do you help make a law or do you take a law and tell people what to do with that (laughs) law? Do those questions make any sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, Actually, we do a little bit of both at Wetlands Watch. We work to develop legislation, um, so writing bills that will eventually become laws. And then we also work to better understand existing laws and figure out how um, communities, mostly communities, that's kind of our biggest stakeholder group, how communities can work within those laws to accomplish the goals that they might want to accomplish. And then for us, accomplish the goals that Wetlands Watch wants to accomplish, which is, um, you know, protecting our natural ecosystem along the shoreline and making sure our wetlands have a place to go when they 
are faced with um, rising sea level. And that's a big challenge because there's a lot of stuff in the way of their migration landward because they're going to drown if they can't migrate landward. Can you just give us like the bullet points of why wetlands are so important? We know they are, but. Yeah, wetlands do I think people mostly understand the water quality benefit of wetlands. They do a lot to clean our waterways. Um, They filter pollutants. The plants are the the actual filters. Um, They also create a really important habitat or home for a lot of our important species that we rely on for water quality, for our food web, which of course is its own system. And if you disrupt the system, then that has negative consequences. Um, So critters live in them. But then also our economy is directly tied to um, wetlands health and mm. existence uh, in Virginia, really specifically. Mm. So our aquaculture um, industry is very important to our economy, as is our, our other fisheries. So we are very dependent on the existence of wetlands and they're going to drown if we don't find a place for them to go. So, yeah. Yeah great the, and, the they're, and they're beautiful the dr- they're right. beautiful and they're filled <laughs> with blue herons yes sometimes oh speaking but, of which you mentioned critters oh. can we what other critters could we expect in a wetland <laughs> so like if you're walking in a neighborhood and um maybe your neighborhood's along the shoreline so when i'm walking with my my two daughters this is kind of what we look at when we're walking over um some wetland species on a walking path in our neighborhood um there are periwinkles do you know those they're kind of like snails that attach onto wetland stalks oh and like the patents yeah and they're we'll link to a picture sure um that's like put that on a business card (laughs) very visible obviously crabs um small crabs are you know living in our in our wetland species in the mud flats um and then fish lots of different crustacean species, mussels, oysters. Um, and then, you know, in in our urban area, we actually, you know, have a lot of um, muskrats that, hmm. that habitate, I don't know, in the, in the wetlands. Um, birds are, you know, using a lot of wetlands for um, their nesting habitat. A lot of different species. Yeah, my species. birder friends. Yeah, my birder friends like go to the east. To the they wetlands. drive east in Virginia to the wetlands yeah. to go see cool birds. That's but where the, the birds that... like do a lot of stalking of their prey. It's like nothing cooler than watching a heron um, walk very slowly and then like dart directly into the water for a, <laughs> a fish or a crab. Yeah, a lot of neck action. <laughs> um, and snakes, like there are a lot of reptiles. I don't know as much oh. about amphibious and like snakes and reptiles and stuff like that i have no idea but i know that they're there too i don't like to think about them yeah they're not as important to me <laughs> that well that's fine with me i agree they're creepy um but what's interesting also is that you're talking about them drowning because they have no place to go and it mm-hmm. and it's because if i understand correctly if we did not develop the mm-hmm. coasts at the level we as a nation state of virginia <laughs> develop the coasts we the migrate the wetlands could move in right like move inland but yeah. because we're like beachfront property so we're raising the sea level and we're not letting the wetlands go anywhere Good right job us. yes and it's wetlands you know they could they could survive if they could grow um vertically or mm-hmm. accrete vertically 
but uh, the pace of sea level rise is higher than the accretion rates, the yeah. vertical accretion. Oh. And so technically, if we weren't, oh. um, if our sea level rise wasn't so intense and extreme, we might be able to have wetlands survive. However, that's not the situation that we're in. And so the only option for them in in most cases is to go landward or horizontal right. accretion. And that's kind of like the basis of a lot of our work. I mean, we do a lot of things at Wetlands Watch and, and like have a ton of different programs that are sort of interrelated. Um, but that's, you know, that's that's the real end goal with hmm. uh, sea level rise as our greatest threat. Yeah. They could actually adapt if the sea level rise wasn't happening so quickly. And they have and in, in natural exactly. climate fluctuations, I'm sure. Yeah. They yeah, they could. And in some places, I think that they probably will survive um, in certain areas. It's just unfortunately, the majority of our coastline, definitely in Virginia, and then um, the Gulf Coast as well. It's, it's just not it's not possible. Virginia has some of the fastest rates of sea level rise in the entire United States, because hmm. not only is it sea level rise, but because of isostasy based on when a crater was here a while ago, the land is actually um, sinking. It's interesting. Too, right? right now, we're sinking faster than the sea is rising. That will change eventually. Like our our um, sea level rise will be higher than our sinking rate. But basically, over the past century, we have had 18 inches of um, of sea level rise. Yeah, 10 inches is from sinking. And eight mm-hmm. inches is from water rising. Jeez. But you kind of bundle them together and you talk about them as, you know, sure. a, a combined sea level rise. Which, like, might even still not seem like that much, like if you're standing in that much water. But when you spread that out horizontally on these wetlands, it's a huge area. Yeah, and it's our rate is doubling. So that's historic that is the historic rate that we've wow. experienced over the past 100 years, but we're looking at a double. I don't know. It's always crazy to me how much we develop the coasts and then what that with sea level rise with Virginia sinking. And then just, I don't know. I'm always, it's always an interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there. And it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel so extreme in Norfolk, but for the fact that we filled in the city. So oh, yeah, it's a, it's a maids, it's a dredge. Yeah, it's all still. And so all of the floodway, like all of the flood maps and the flood zones, if you overlay a map of the historic creek beds in the city, um, they're completely, you know, on top of each other. So you can tell exactly where all of our old creeks, all of the old wetlands were, because it's where it floods today. And it's, you know, the water is just going to come back. Yeah. It's not, there's nothing you can do about it. And so had we not made those mistakes, the impacts wouldn't be so severe. So in other places, it, it isn't as, it isn't as extremely felt um, as it is in Norfolk, but it, you know, it's that historical decision-making that's just kind of ruining things for today. And Norfolk is not alone. Rachel and I went to school in Providence, Rhode Island, and Brook, do you remember Brook Street or Brook Road, Rachel? It yeah, used to be called our, that our because it used to on. be. Mm. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it used to be an old brook, right? Yeah. Knapp Street flooded every time. And my last year of grad school, they spent, I woke up to um, 
like jackhammers every day because yeah. they were building bigger culverts mm. to deal with the stream water to sort of address those issues. But these older cities where they're just like, let's fill in this valley and this gully and like hope for the best. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. We haven't done anything oh my to gosh, address don't it Don't buy a house or rent a house on a road that's called something something creek. <laughs> River road, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mary Carson, on a day-to-day basis, what do you actually do? You're not out there helping moving little plants. Critters. To other places. Yes. And critters. <laughs> but what, on a, if we were to come and find you at Wetlands Watch, would you be in front of a computer or would you not be there? Would you be in a community meeting? I'm just guessing, so I'll stop. You just <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it really varies, which is one of the reasons why I love working for Wetlands Watch. There's a lot of... Um, you know, there's a lot of time spent in front of a computer, certainly because I'm doing a lot of research and writing, but I spend a ton of time with local government staff and in the community with people. So I like to think that, you know, the majority of, of my work is, um, is listening to people hmm. and partnering with people and trying to learn from listening and then take what I learn to develop um whatever we think is a good idea uh you know to make it really informed and have some foundation and in, in at least some people's truth for what they think is happening and feel is happening and how they're experiencing the impacts of risk could you give us an example of something that like wetlands watch has helped push through that has changed maybe the way a house is zoned or maybe how much money someone gets for if it's flooded or I'm yeah, that's just like a yeah. one real example. I mean, Wetlands Watch has advocated for a lot of um, adaptive building code standards to help keep structures safer from flooding. Hmm. Um, we also in the, in the 2020 legislative session in the general assembly of Virginia, we were involved in a lot of different pieces of legislation and policy that helped strengthen shoreline protection. Um, And that includes, you know, updates to our Title Wetlands Act standards and guidelines, um, you know, making sure that living shorelines are the first choice for erosion control before you put a hardened structure down. It won't work everywhere, but everybody should strive for something living before they go with something hard. And, um, and then finally, our Chesapeake Bay Act. So like everywhere that is a part of the Bay watershed has a, a 100 foot buffer that's required to be maintained along the shoreline. Hmm. And um, we helped develop and pass legislation that requires that climate change be considered in um, different, you know, permits to do anything in that buffer. And that Cannot get undone. Well, we have a new governor coming in. Uh, one of us, anyway, is very not excited about. I can put myself out there like that. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're nervous about a lot of the hard work of the Northam administration and the Secretary of Natural Resources under Northam was particularly effective in the resilience space. Hmm. And um, yeah, we're nervous. We'd like to think that. Um, Duncan will focus on the bipartisan issue that is flooding and, um, you know, whether or not he thinks climate change is human caused or not. You know, I wish that he, I wish the best for how he thinks about this, but it doesn't matter. 
can call it whatever you want. The problem, you know, the problem is still, still there. And still unfortunately, problem. like all the impacts for sea level rise for our coastal communities, they're baked in. Your mitigation actions are not going to make a difference for yep. the majority of our communities that are right on the coast. They will help all, like in the longest, longest term, right. but you know, 2100 sea level rise, um, uh, projections. I'm not sure there's anything that we can do, unfortunately. This is like the darkest we've gotten on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, Rach, you, you yeah. have a question, I think. Let's go back. And yes. So, what initially got you interested in this environmental and climate work that you're doing now? Yeah. Um, I, so I think that probably in high school, is when everything kind of really started for me. Hmm. Um, I had this amazing um, AP environmental science teacher, Dr. Peter McLean at St. Andrews School in Middletown, Delaware. And he- Wait, why were you in Delaware then? Oh, I you went to board, boarding school. Got you. Okay. Yeah, so- So Dr. Yeah. Peter. Yeah, Dr. McLean. Um, he, yeah, he was just awesome. And he talked about you know, the interconnectedness of everything. And that mm. really struck a chord with me. And I just was completely hooked ever since, ever since his class. And I feel That's like awesome. felt super inspired to, you know, want to be a part of something bigger than, you know, yourself. I, I feel like, you know, my, my parents and growing up in a small town, you know, there's like this element of, of service and accountability to others that I really think is important as humans and it certainly helped shape you know me and my interests in this field and so anyway that was his kind of shtick and then I went to college thinking that um, you know I'd be an environmental science mm -hmm. uh, major I went to a liberal arts college in Maine and ended Ooh. up yeah and ended up <laughs> Every, I feel like we've actually Ooh. some well a lot of the people he, first of all I love Maine second of all I think a lot of people accidentally on this podcast have like had a stint in Maine oh yeah Canada. well let me tell or you what environmentalists me? are born in Maine Maine I mean, born like you know. like born for sure yeah. well Maine is um their state motto is the way life should be and they are so yes. right let's go to Maine y'all yeah. everybody has to. to go to Maine it, right. everybody and I, so yeah, I ended up being an English major. And then in the summers and um, study abroad, I know it was stupid, but So whatever. wait, can I, we are, yeah. can we back it up real quick? So this is high school, stuff. high school, you have doctor, I only remember Peter, Peter. McLean. 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 I know, he's getting so much talked about. <laughs> Peter McLean. Deserves it. Yeah. Send him this. Up. Uh, he's but, the man. <laughs> When was was so he like had this spark for environmental science. What was your very first job job? Did you have a job in high school? Oh sure, yeah. And was it related at all? Um, not really. So my first job was at our YMCA. I worked at the mem yes. at the desk, right? So I like scanned cards Ooh. and signed kids up for swim lessons no. and yoga classes or whatever the heck people were doing. <laughs> summer summer camp. So that was my first job. And then my second job um, I worked at a wholesale nursery in the in the tree farm. Ah. Um, oh. So like where they potted everything and grew it yeah. before they moved it over to the big nursery. So you were yeah. like outside it's doing nursery, stuff. Nursery. But then, so you went to college and thought environmental studies, but it sounds like you did not end up 
up there. Yeah, Why? I well, I wasn't like too pumped about the classes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do not want to disparage my college experience at that school or whatever, but I just wasn't like wasn't feeling it. And then I was really feeling like I love to read and be outside and sort of yes. that I was where I was. And I really liked the English department and I really liked the English classes. And then I spent my summer. So this was kind of like helpful for people who might not like the particular program in their college, mm. but you can do things to develop your own little program. So I developed my own concentration in environmental pol- policy slash studies. So what? I did yeah, Ooh, I did like you, awesome. you were one of those kids that made a major. You were one of those. No, it was not official. <laughs> it is not. It is not she on my. You made a club. Uh, I made it. You started. I made it for myself and in my head. Um, but I like to this summer program um, with the University of uh, or University of North Carolina Chapel Hill at Cambridge um, in the UK, and they had like a carbon policy. Um, study abroad summer program that was really interested. And so So that was kind of carbon reduction and more on the actual mitigation side of things. Mm -hmm. And then I, my, my study abroad was focused on, um, on natural resource management and um, kind of development of, well, kind of a development program for developing nations. So it was policy Hmm. oriented. Were you doing a lot of writing in those programs? Well, actually, you know what? In the they were really practical based, which I just feel like is so <laughs> liberal lucky. arts education. I know, like it was. Well, sometimes it I did, doesn't I went go to the that way. College too. Yeah, no, it's uh, you don't take the practical classes. No, no, no. The, yeah, and this was super right, right. Like my both of my experiences, like the one um, in the UK, we were working with the residents um, we worked with like we had a client so it's like both of these programs were very clinical oriented which i am so directed towards and um when i was in law school was very involved in a clinical program and then ended up working for it after the fact because this idea of practical experience and having Mm. like real world Mm -hmm. um, impact was just available to me at this young this young age which i think is just really unusual and so in the uk it was working with um, the city of Cambridge, uh, and doing kind of like a survey, um, of residents around their carbon reduction policies, um, and then research and writing a little bit. And then in, in India, it was, um, you know, a very normal or part, half of it was, uh, clinical, like course instruction. Right. And then, the second half, you had to do an internship, and I did an internship with a nonprofit that focused on um, natural resource, you know, natural resource management, essentially. And that was in villages yeah. in India, working with their stakeholders and their population of, of mostly um, farmers. Hmm. So well, it sounds like these two experiences really gave you this, like, I love this applied work, yeah, and I right. like, like you, you started working with stakeholders and people from the start what you're doing mm-hmm. now which is really interesting to see the tie through yeah i was so lucky such a not you know not typical of a lot of programs so yeah. i don't know I, I don't think i was like thinking oh this is applied right, you know right, right. i was like, just <laughs> making that cho- no you're like this no. is cool i'm gonna do it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i'll keep yeah, doing yeah, yeah. this yeah yeah so okay we start off in dr peter's class 
So then we went to you went to college and didn't love the vibe of the environmental science stuff. So you switched to English and loved the the program. Did a couple awesome like more applied study abroad programs. Then what did you do after college? Yeah. I guess. So I graduated in two thousand and eight, right when Ooh, everything. What a fell. great time to graduate! <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, it was really bad. So yeah. I was supposed to be so in college. Um, I had another. Um, I forget how many. So then during college, I was working for, mm. you know, nonprofits and doing stuff like that, too. Awesome. And were they environmental nonprofits or you were just like, let me see nonprofit world? Environmental. So oh, I, right, cool. I was working with nice. this again. This is applied. So like, this is cool. I'm sort of realizing this about my past. You guys are just helping <laughs> figuring it out together. Um, <laughs> That's funny. what we're here yeah. for. Yeah. <laughs> And so there's a nonprofit, um, it's still around, it's called Earth Day Network. And I worked for them um, the summer before my senior year. And they do a lot of um, environmental literacy and education in schools and a lot in charter schools. um, And then a lot in in public uh, underserved community schools. And that was really interesting. And I was lined up to work for them mm-hmm. after college. And oh, so I was like, oh, oh, all oh. my best friends from college, like, let's all get jobs in DC and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, everybody, a lot of people did come to DC. It was awesome. Oh, but then great. I lost my, uh, the job. I didn't, they like, couldn't find the funding Ooh. for it. And so, yeah. And so I was did- jobless. Yeah. Had moved to DC. And was yeah. I was like, like, did you have a 12 month lease? <laughs> Did you get out? Yeah, it was. Um, well, it, yeah, I got notified. I think, yeah, I'm sure I'd already moved there at that oh, point um, with my friends. You know, with a bunch of girls living in a house in Northern Virginia. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I just started like literally knocking on doors at schools and oh being like, can I teach, substitute teach? I don't know. I just Please, sent out oh, like, like high schools or elementary, like middle school, high school, elementary high school, school. All of it. All of it. I like took a class for substitute teaching. You had to get certified, I think, to be a substitute yeah, teacher. You do. Um, it's not so hard. I, well, I couldn't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I had to do math in an interview. Oh, okay. Yes. that There is that. You do have to prove you can do like, all this. Like, how many <laughs> elevators are there in New York City? I'm just kidding. No, it was like multiplying fractions and it was awful. And I was sweating so bad. And they were like, are you ill? I was like, yes, I'm going to be. Math makes me ill. Thank you. (laughs) I'm Um, not here to be a math teacher. (laughs) No. Oh my gosh. Math. Gross. Uh, We're so different. (laughs) Oh, really? I think in the last episode, I literally just went, math is fun. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Rachel's a mathlete. And That's don't so even tell you. Good don't, for you. And That's I'm so a good. terrible writer. Terrible. Words well, do not make sense to me. But you're both working on both. Maybe. I'm well, not Mary Carson, on you don't math. have to work on math. <laughs> I know you don't have to. Let's let's ignore it. Uh, uh, but so but you were essentially jobless and you actively were just like, I need a job, so oh I'm gonna gosh, sub yeah. and figure out how to make that work. Yeah, or do whatever. Yeah, sending out, you know, just hitting the pavement basically. Can I please get a job? So then um, I ended up getting a job at uh, a boarding school in Alexandria, Episcopal High School. And I had looked sure. at the school um, when I was looking at boarding schools and knew a couple of people at the school. And anyway, it was really lucky. Um, and you and are not a math teacher there. 
Oh my gosh, no. I was a not a teacher. I Oh. Um I did, worked in the development office. Oh, you're trying to get that money. Raising money and I did alumni relations That's and I like coached great experience. Oh, yeah, it was applied to a whole host of other things. Yeah, absolutely. It was really good. Um, You know, philanthropy, it's like when people feel really connected to a place, they're inclined to give. And I really loved my boarding school experience and felt a lot of feelings about it. And I felt like it was easy to translate that. And the best part about the job at Episcopal, I mean, the people were awesome and it was a great school to be working but I got to coach crew um, mm. as ah. like, you know, at a boarding school, everybody's teaching and they're also coaching yeah. and they're like in charge of clubs and they drive kids to the store. Right. It's like a full blown experience. Huh. And I wasn't living on campus and didn't have to do a lot of like carting kids around. But I did get to coach um, a sport that I played in high school and a little a little stint in college, but not much time. Ooh. And that was really fun. So I feel like it was great. And a really awesome. unintended situation, you know, completely separate from what I wanted to do in my life. And, and that's completely just like, different from what you thought you'd be doing on when you, the day you graduated. Graduated. <laughs> oh, I know. And yeah. after graduation too. So I think it's like a, when talking with students and stuff like that, yeah. you know, it just worked out. It was fine. Yeah. You were the open to the ideas. You, yeah. Right. So what, yeah. so I was what happened? Devastated. Yeah. I, but, I, I can't oh, imagine moving somewhere and then... Being like, being like, oh, by no the way, money. remember that job <laughs> yeah. we promised you last year? No. <laughs> but now you can wake up at 5 a.m. with high school students and get on the water. <laughs> Boarding school, they do it not in the morning. It's in the afternoon. <gasps> so smart. What? There's yeah, so like <laughs> I didn't know that early life, early practice life oh until God. college and in Maine at 3.30 in the morning oh, when you wake yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Let is me tell bad. you what. We were like <laughs> cut nice in the morning and I was like, no. And my favorite, the reason why I didn't row was because it was like pretty cultish and it wasn't like that in high school. I didn't really like that part of it. But then also the freezing nature of like where yeah. I was and that was miserable. It it was just too too cold. I'd rather be in my extra long twin bed right now, asleep. Yes, <laughs> sleeping. Oh. oh my gosh. Oh yes, gross. <laughs> so what did you? Do? Okay, so what's next? <laughs> so yeah. So then development office. Oh yeah. How'd you get what? back? How'd you get back in the environmental game? Yeah. So um, I went to law school. You know. Oh, yeah. As one like, does. Well, I mean, well, I was trying to decide between, um, so I wanted to do environmental work and I knew that I wanted to have an advanced degree so I could have different doors opened and, um, was deciding between policy school and law school and like an um, MPP kind of thing. Is that a thing? Yeah. Okay. Master's of public policy. Yeah. 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 And there are like environmental studies schools too, right? Just, or a master's in environmental studies or environmental policies. So I talked to a bunch of different people and they were, you know, like, don't go to law school, whatever you do. And, um, spoiler alert, Mary Carson went to law school. (laughs) Yeah. So here's my plug for people. If you want to do policy work, don't go to law school. Like why? Why would would you do it? (laughs) And I can tell you that I talked to so many different 
you know, people who went to law school who were doing policy work and they were like, please just don't do it. And then you'd sort of, they'd read your face and they'd say, okay, well, I know you're going to do it because obviously yeah. that's like what we all did. We we're all dummies. But if you could just huh. not be stupid, then that would be great. <laughs> Cut out so, that, that wait, three years, of it, those expensive wait a three second. years. Uh, yeah. Is it right? I need, I guess I need as someone who did not go to law school and did not ask about going to law school. Why did they tell you, is it the cost of law school or is it the, like, why was everyone like, absolutely like, don't go to law school for this? You can do that and work without also, this degree. Yes. Why were you like, I am going to go to law school? <laughs> well, so like, like Rachel said, because you don't need the degree. Oh, um, okay. And I feel like the reason why people think that they should, if they want to do policy work is because you know, you can, I don't know, maybe you can fall back on it, I guess. But if it's more about like, if you have a law degree, then it will open any door possible, right? It's sort of like a trump card, or yeah. that's how people I think, think of it, which okay. knowing now, you know, what I do and who I work with, it is certainly not. And, <laughs> and the reason, you know, the, the like, why would you not? Um, stress money yeah time yeah. misery sure. but <laughs> but we can call you esquire that's pretty cool well i'm not barred <laughs> oh so you oh. can't I do not know how this works <laughs> <laughs> wait you what can't. but wait why did you choose law uh, i can so, uh, <laughs> yeah rachel can call we can all call you esquire it doesn't matter um why what are you a lawyer? maybe not correctly and legally <laughs> My cousin Vinny is all I know about law. I'm going to throw that out there. <laughs> good, good. Don't learn anything else. <laughs> I actually hear it's quite good about, like, courtroom litigation, but I don't know. But um, why did you not do <laughs> master's? Like, what drove you yeah. to be, like, master's of public policy? And then what drove you to also be like, I'm not taking that bar exam. I'm done with the LSAT. That's enough logic puzzles. Like, all of the – how did that all get there? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, I, like everybody, thought it would open the most doors and it would be like the broadest understanding of how a system works, right? And how you want to operate within the system. Mm. So I don't know. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. But I don't think it was, I don't think it was necessary because, you know, when you, you get to law school and you learn about, okay, well, how could I work within the environmental field in, in law school? And it's kind of like you take environmental law 101 and you realize that people that work in the field are sitting at a desk and they're reading um, really dense code and fighting about who has standing. Well, <laughs> Rachel and I have a few, we've talked about this, Mary Carson, to each other and not anybody else. We have a few friends who are environmental lawyers and I would say they don't love their job yeah and yeah uh, a lot of it is like my good friend peter murray who is an esquire i think because he's barred um (laughs) i know one of the cases he fought though was what like whether or not the shoreline in michigan has standing and where that is a thing but like why it like tort law right you have to sit through that whatever that word is yeah and like legally blonde made cake or that's, that's a, a tart. Oh, a tart. A tort. <laughs> um, yeah, that's like when somebody um, basically hurts you, right? If that's a tort or yeah. like a it's slip like the and most fall common... or something like that. Oh, God. 
But Rachel and I have had this conversation. We're like, we can't ask our actual environmental practicing lawyers. <laughs> Trying to have an upbeat conversation here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I think that whatever, I could have gone to policy school and I ended up taking policy classes um, that were yeah. kind of intersectional. And then after it, law school or like with no, during, during, yeah, during, during law, law school. school, it all worked out. That's where right. um, William and Mary has. So that's where I attended law school. Um, oh, and then you were by the wetlands. Yeah. And near my family <laughs> and all that stuff. But yeah. they had ju- just started a clinical program at William and Mary that was um, called the Virginia Coastal Policy Clinic. And now it's a center. And so during law school, hmm. I'm like, I'm going to do land conservation. I worked for um, an organization that's like the membership organization for all land trusts in America, the Land Trust oh, Alliance. Cool. Then I worked for Virginia's state agency land trust called the Virginia Outdoor Foundation, Outdoors Foundation, VOF. And I was like, oh, I'll just work in this field because I love land. Conserving it is important. You know, there are a lot of benefits to, you know, climate in terms of, um, carbon capture and you know it's it's great and virginia has such wonderful beautiful places that is really you know it's worthwhile to protect and there's a lot of kind of intersectionality with land conservation and climate and so that's kind of what i was thinking but then in our in my last year they had this program this clinical program that was all about hey we live really close to an area where there's like massive flooding so let's focus on it and just talk about it and that's what really piqued my interest. And as hmm. soon as I learned what sea level rise was doing yeah. um, to Hampton Roads, I was like, game over. This is what I have to do. This is my hometown area. I can't believe the impacts are this bad. I had no idea right. it was going to be so bad because climate, I was really focused on the mitigation, like stopping the pollutants from contributing to, to impacts. Right. And I was like, oh, well, this is way, way more important to me and you know thinking about like the birthplace of the nation right i mean birthplace of of our nation um the united states being in coastal virginia southeastern Mm -hmm. virginia and knowing that jamestown island is going to be completely gone you know that i was like this is so amazing i want to focus on this that's all you need to know yeah yeah so it ended up working out great but people you know whatever maybe you don't want to go to law school maybe you do i can't say i I wish i hadn't gone because i also met my husband there and like oh my partner (laughs) yeah so it's kind of like i'm really glad i made that decision and it's all worked out really well so just goes to show whatever you do whatever like mistake you make in your decision making it's it'll it'll be fine but also don't is your husband an environmental lawyer no He's a Can we talk to him? <laughs> I know. Does he want to be on this podcast? <laughs> no, he no. He does bankruptcy law and like commercial Ooh. transactions. So he likes math. Ew. And spread and spreadsheets. Like hard. You guys balance each other out. It's nice. Uh, Mary Carson, if there were no climate crisis, then what would you or crisis of sea level erosion mm. yunkin that's what we're talking about what <laughs> would you, to you. Sea level erosion. <laughs> what would you that's what he calls be, it do, i think it's short what do they call it shoreline erosion it's oh, like yeah. a phrase that yeah it's like they decided it's yeah. okay okay cool Great. yes cool. because then it's yeah it's just a thing that's happening yeah uh 
it's yeah but okay my real question if there were no <laughs> climate crisis mary carson what would you be doing do you think baker a tort perhaps oh my gosh i wish baking is so hard what's she doing uh, it's rising oh, oh she's rising a bread oh I'm you making show a focaccia. oh my gosh <gasps> i'm doing double gosh, duty tonight Rachel. I didn't yeah. Tell you. That, yeah we had a little oh uh, discussion of what was going well and you didn't mention that you had a focaccia rising next to you but okay mary carson you would you would not be a baker <laughs> if there were no climate crisis <laughs> No, if there is no climate crisis, so like n- none of it, everything's great. Yeah. No, you can put stuff back in. I, guess. I mean, you do you. I mean, I guess Virginia would still be Issues. sinking a little bit. If you weren't doing this line of work, what would you be doing? Yeah. If you weren't burdened by the need to help the wetlands and the people living around them. Good question. Rachel. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think maybe land conservation. I just love oh, the idea love of, of protecting land because you know development is kind of a bummer in places where it hasn't been before and like my hometown was very gobbled up in terms of kind of the farmland being developed um pretty quickly and so watching it before your eyes as a kid it just kind of stinks Hmm. so that also makes me realize why you love Maine so much (laughs) oh my god no one lives there and it's filled with land trust (laughs) your eyes just lit up with land trust yes yeah maine and connecticut connecticut for some reason just has a ton of like their uh, no capital likes... land trust huh. i know every time i get no stuck one likes in connecticut, connecticut. Trust, i know <laughs> i have New some England really good friends we'll get rid of you i know Ooh. i know it's okay but maine no one says oh maine yet like no. how dare no. you yeah maine <laughs> is like, like it's magic man magic Fully agree. You can't get there from here, but it's amazing. Mary Carson, do you have pets? Do they have social media presence? Tell us more. Um, Yeah, we have a dog. His name is Commissioner Gordon. And he goes by Gordy. And um, he's, he's, he's a, he's a golden doodle, but he's mostly like, looks like a poodle, like a black poodle. Is his personality poodle? They're, they're real uh, smart ones. Yeah, he's very smart and also very stupid at the same time. <laughs> oh, all right. He's well, like I get it. He he is so he's capable of so much, but he we don't ask much of him. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like and I know, I mean he's really he's the best dog ever. He's the sweetest does, alive. Does he have his own social media presence? No. Do you he have doesn't. a social media presence that we I, should link to? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, my, Instagram, my Twitter, we'll link to it. We'll find it. All the things. Ooh, we'll you know, also my, put that. Mine is private, and well, yeah. So Wellens watch, and then my Instagram oh, isn't. We isn't, can do that. And Twitter, I'm so not active. I have like one tweet about somebody in like a line at a coffee shop, like mom shaming me. Not really ah. mom shaming, <laughs> but like acting like a mom and telling me my skirt was wrong or something. We can about... set our fans against this person. We have a yeah. lot of we'll... power. Right. In the same way that Taylor Swift has her Swifties, we have our, what do we call it? She ever going to get that scarf back? Come on. I don't think yeah, so. I so think what Maggie I... Gyllenhaal donated it to Goodwill years <gasps> ago. Right. Wait, was Why? it Maggie's or was it Jake's? I like don't know. What's well, going she on. left it at Maggie's house, which is visiting with Jake is my hot take. On, I mean, that's my read on it, right? Because isn't, what else could it be? I don't or... read that much into it. I thought what it was mean, it just, She just said it's his sister's house. How many sisters does Jake Gyllenhaal have? Oh. Maggie. Definitely Maggie. Well, that's really funny. <laughs> I, I feel like I missed 
I feel like I missed all of that. And then all of a sudden, um, my, my social media was like so anti Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. And I thought he better not have done something stupid. Hashtag me too. And that just, Oh no, no, so, no. 10 years ago. No, just Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. And okay. My understanding, 10 years ago, he dated Taylor Swift. She wrote a long version of this song all too well. Short one was on the original album red. She's re-releasing mm-hmm. all of her albums. So she's, she like, over the years, they're like, there's this 10-minute version out there, and this is a 10-minute oh, version. Oh, I didn't version. know that. Oh. Oh, wow. too? She yes, and there's the movie. Yes. And I will complain about this movie here as someone who's watched it. I was, like, here for it. I'm here for Taylor Swift. I'm here. It The movie, I was like, you know what? This does feel like she captures what it would be like for a 20-year-old to date a 30-year-old. These fights feel, like, petty and real and perfect. And I thought the younger Taylor was great. And I do not think Taylor Swift should have played the old, the 13 years later Taylor. Have oh. the same actress Just play it. Some, she didn't look no. like, you wouldn't morph <laughs> from a redheaded girl to Taylor Swift with dyed red hair in 13 years. Oh. I just don't understand why you just couldn't put like thicker eyeliner on yeah, the original yeah. some actress. Some wrinkles on her. <laughs> anyway, I have oh, a lot of thoughts on this. But well, I will. have a lot of thoughts about this. Steph hosts a different <laughs> podcast on this. It's called how, how Taylor Got how Here. How Taylor Got Here. Stop. Um, no, I know I actually know very <laughs> little compared to a lot of people I know. But I think it's insane. I mean, the whole thing's insane. The end of that video, it's like fake Jake Gyllenhaal wearing the scarf looking at her 13 years later. And I'm like, this, I... like the confidence Taylor Swift has is just something we should all strive for. I only saw it on SNL, and I missed the yeah. end where she's in it. I don't know if they played that on SNL. I don't no, know. No, and there's a whole fight scene that you... There's two phone. fight scenes that you missed. No, no, no. They didn't play the whole thing. There was oh, like okay. a... Oh, you're fine. You didn't <laughs> seek it out. You didn't Google 10 minute all too well in your spare, like, 30 minutes yeah. of time this weekend and <laughs> watch it? Weird. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Mary Carson... <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us. I'm so sorry this took a turn. (laughs) Right. I love it. It's honestly, it's like how many degrees of Taylor Swift? (laughs) She always comes up. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, and I don't mind it.